It's go time. Welcome, everyone, to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbon with a very special guest, Steve Daniel, CFL Statistics, whatever title you want to call him. He is the guru, and uh, I'm so thrilled to have him back on the show. My life's all about analytics now and records and stat systems. I can't think of a better person to be in charge of all of that because of all the effort that you put into it. You're like a walking encyclopedia. <laughs> my, my academic supervisor always says to me, what we need to do is download your brain. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny, actually, because he, he's just... I don't know, some level above me in, in terms of how he thinks, but uh, I, I just like being able to apply thought to the whole process and come up with something good that people like. Well, and that's that's what we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. Stats are one thing, but the stories they tell are what really matter. 100%. They, they, they tell you about the history for our game and how it's changed. Because a lot of people think football is a static thing, but it's anything but that. It has evolved, and part of what I'm doing now is exactly that. The evolution in our game in 2023 has been profound. We can talk about that a little bit as we go, especially with spring football and other elements that are new to us, because they're competition. Absolutely, we can. Let's first, though, talk about genius sports. We kind of touched on that last year. We know that Genius is going to be much more involved this year. What does that mean for you? What does that change for you? What it does is it changes the basic platform. Just technically, it changes the platform by which we collect our statistics. We had a system we called Connect. I named it that because it tends to connect every part of our business. Since the Connect system occurred, I've added a colleague, a partner, and we, we share responsibility for CFL statistics, Jeff Creever. And and Jeff and I audit games live and ensure that the data that gets into our systems is accurate for every play. So we do it live. The NFL, they, they do it as well, but they do it um, later. We do it in real time. So the system, when Genius has come along, will be changing. And it's based on adding elements that we did not have in the past, such as um, betting on games and and using the data in many more ways. And I think that uh, that kind of capability is part of that evolution. So the genius system is really focused on going forward with a new type of capability. Does that entail a new a new program? Totally. A new way of uh, recording? Totally different. And for now, it's got one bit of awkwardness to it. I think they're doing a very good job and my role in it to help Jeff who's leading that side of the project and doing it well is um, to add that experience and knowledge of the rule book to ensure that the system they're building replicates our um, scoring rules. That the NFL is profoundly different from ours in a number of ways. They don't have Team losses for Niels, the rushing, the rushing plays, which is awkward. There, if you you see a published team passing total, it includes sack yardage lost. We don't do that. There's a lot of things 
if they have a turnover on downs, to them, it's not a turnover. It's, I don't know what it is. It's different. So integrating into this new system, which is based on earlier systems that they've built, and we're meeting tonight again to do exactly what I'm talking about now, is to ensure that it, we can replicate exactly what we had in our earlier system. So for example, put the data in from last year, are the statistics that come out the same? That's really important because my obligation, Jeff's obligation, is to produce statistical data that our rules committee approves. And that's the job. And look, I got asked a couple of questions last night. What happens if this play occurs? And I counted, I'd seen it like three times in the last 10 years, but you have to account for that. And so that my role there is, so this new system is a completely new program and we are training our crews across the country now to use it. And they're undergoing a lot of work on our behalf. And so hopefully on the 22nd at the preseason game that starts our year, um, they'll be as good. Of course they won't be, but we've got time. And the preseason will be a test for this new system. And I think it's going to work out really well. I really do. I'm positive about it. But a lot of work to get to be parallel to where we were. And then that gives us all this other capability uh, going forward. I'm happy about that. When you were talking about the NFL and I was thinking about something, typically when I see a CFL stat sheet, you'll see offense, passing offense, rushing, and then a title called net yards, which is the two combined less losses. Yes. That's been part of our league since 1955. And, and what we do is we take our rushing and our passing as pure. If a quarterback takes a kneel play, it's not really a legitimate attempt to gain yards. The attempt is to kill the clock or to run off the field at halftime and not commit a turnover. So it's a separate category, and rightly so. The NFL merges it in, in their wisdom, which is fine. That's their way. And, but we separate that out so you have rushing plus passing minus these kind of team losses. And the team losses include sacks. Because as much as it's a passing play call, it's not a pass attempt. We want the yards in passing to be those where a passing attempt occurred. And, and so our, our data is perhaps a little clearer in that respect. Um, and I, I don't want to downplay what the other leagues do. They're just, their way is just different than ours. And uh, I quite like our way. I'll say it that way. And that we know and our clubs know the impact of these two parts of our game, rushing and passing. And statistic, if our statistical systems can show that to them, then I think that's a win. I totally agree with you. It, it makes it very clear what's going on in a game. Because let's say a team has 100 yards passing and 100 yards rushing, but their net yards are 183, not 200. You know that something else has happened on the field. Exactly. Like a block kick. Yards lost or given up a safety. Those are the kinds of team losses that make sense. And that's what drives me and in in my influence on the record book is whatever we do has got to be sensible as well. It can't be academic statistics. I don't believe in that. But what I believe in is it tells our clubs where they stand and our players. 
Genius Sports then, a mix of that, and also I imagine game day betting is part of their portfolio to get more fan engagement. I'm not involved in that much in terms of its development. I know that the people in our head office and and maybe a little bit more for Jeff, uh, my colleague, it's the feature if you look at an NHL game. There's a little ad that comes up on that. And I think that that, uh, it's a natural uh, occurrence because in most major pro sports around the world, it's a part of it. That's what modern fans want. And I think our product, and that's another part of this story, which I'd like to elaborate on a little bit later in our chat, is our product. If it features that, then we're keeping up. I personally don't ever get involved in looking like that because that would be unconscionable. But it, it's a key part of the product that we put in front of people and uh, is worth support. The whole idea, I guess, is, as I mentioned, fan engagement. But you're right. The CFL wants to be not only at least equivalent to the other leagues, but maybe sometimes being at the forefront in terms of what it can provide. Yeah, and I think I think we have. We At the same time as we learn from other leagues, and I'm always looking. I watch NFL games to mind, for one thing, the way they present their information. And so that now I know we do our analytics ourselves. We are at the forefront of that. We created red zone and we created second down conversions for ourselves. Back when I got the job in 2007, I started doing that because it made sense. It came from my experience in the NBA doing that uh, at the scores table for our assistant coaches in uh, Vancouver and, and Memphis with the Grizzlies. So those analytics are critical. And to be at the forefront of that feels really good because then we can tinker with it. And there's nothing I like better than messing with the way that we think about it, calculate it, and again, to make it make sense. There's a process I use in which I take 12 metrics, the 12 that I think are the most critical to tell us the quality of our game and the quality of our clubs. Those analytics, those metrics, conversions, and things like that are part of it. And so being at the forefront of it is to make sure that we can explain it. A team that converts on second down at 35% is likely to be 0-18. A team that converts at 48% is going to do very well. That knowledge is what puts you at the forefront. What do these things mean as opposed to how you calculate when you say metrics, are these algorithms that you're using? What to, what would a metric be? Well, the, of these metrics, um, some of them are really basic. Like how many points per game are there? I can look over our history and see that in 2021, our game averaged only 43 points a game. That's the lowest in my memory. You have to go back to the 70s to find CFL scoring as low as that. So that's a basic one. Uh, second down conversions, the number of yards that you gain. And then one that's really, really interesting. I love it. it. I drew it from hockey. And that is, if you play a hockey game, NHL game, and all the plays at center ice, it's not going to be a very good hockey game. There's just as much possession. It's just nowhere near the goal. So one of the metrics 
that I've used is red zone opportunities. How much of our net yards are gained inside the 20s? In other words, scoring chances like in hockey. So that's another one of the metrics. Another metric is an, a basic one as well. What is our scoring drive percentage? Touchdowns and possessions that result in a touchdown or a field goal. That's another one. I think my favorite is one that's not entirely well understood because the math is kind of weird, but pass rating, passer rating. Almost if you, and then you, I take all these metrics and put them in. You said the keyword yourself just a few moments ago into an algorithm. Take all the math and, and the weirdness is my master's thesis at UBC in archaeology use the same process of taking categories, variables, evaluating your performance on them from poor to ideal. So ideal scoring would be 50 plus points a game. Poor scoring would be 42. So you give yourself credit at the 50 and no credit at the 42. And then in between, you kind of like a scale, right? So if you scale these things, uh, this one, passer rating, if we have a passer rating like the USFLs right now, their passer rating is 85.8. And I, I know that because I track every single play of the XFL and USFL and report it to our management. So off season, I'm producing what is called a product review, comparing our competition to us. And the idea came from my bosses, but to curve adjust what I had been doing all along. And so their ideas have really helped me to change this. Now we know where we stand. So if you have a passer rating of 85.8, that's really bad. If your passer rating is 90 and above, that is very, very good. And we have the quarterbacks to do it still, even losing Nathan Rourke, even losing McLeod Bethel-Thompson, who is the best quarterback in the USFL by far. The, the two leading offensive players in the USFL are both ex-CFL players. Nick Beth, I call him, and uh, Wes Hills, he used to play for Hamilton. So if you take that knowledge that these metrics give you and you combine them all into one, you get kind of an index of, of how it works. And it's an internal document for our management. And uh, you can kind of use it to go to the rules committee and say, okay, what? how are we trending? It shows you. And so the NFL trend, the NFL 2020 season was the best in their history, times 10. They had all these metrics were at the highest point I had seen. And I've built NFL data back 20 years. I can tell you it's not that difficult to do. You have to go to the right sources, but there are good sources. And I've got the NFL's graph as well, same as ours, and we put them against each other. As an internal document, it gives us a sense of what other leagues are like in ourselves, and, and, and we can see, well, what do we need to do? In the NFL, their graph the last two years was that it's straight down. Straight down from the 2020 landmark season. The last two years have not been very good. Their scoring is down, what, 12% or something? That's, you know, down back down to 43 points a game. And, uh, so that's what this will tell you. And then the challenge is the real thing behind this. It's not just knowing what the direction the graph is going, is why. That's the, where the skill lies. And for us, 
when we came out of the pandemic, the percentage of our rosters, first year guys, was 30, was it 34%? This year, this past season, it was like 18%. So we had a bunch more veterans. And so you get inside the real people who are doing that create the graph. I don't. It's the players and coaches. I got nothing to do with it. I just measure. So it gives you an insight into our product that our fans see and purchase. And that's what matters to, to our management as, as well as the quality of the game in the field. And that's why it's such an exciting thing every day to, to work with this. And my boss is so supportive, Greg Dick. He allows me the latitude to advise him and, and Randy on uh, on that and it's a privilege to do it's uh, it's a privilege so that's that's how these metrics are used internally by us and we publish lots of them and uh we think about it an awful lot it's interesting you mentioned the nfl zenith was 2020 it's also the year they played in front of empty stadiums ouch (laughs) there the numbers they had are i can't believe it but I think why in the empty stadium, that's too bad because they would have seen some fantastic football. Not every quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. And I admire him because he's so tough. He, he can overcome almost anything. I think what's going on is there's a couple of metrics you can look at or a couple of just metrics, maybe not the right word, facts. If you look at the number of starting quarterbacks with at least one start in every year, that number is in 2022 was the highest in the history of the NFL. More guys, more quarterbacks started a game than any other time. And I've tracked it back. It took a long time to do, but 15 years anyways. So you had 68 different starters. That's going to disrupt any league when that happens. And we've gone through that ourselves. But fortunately, our clubs are so good at, at finding just the right guys. It's keeping us at a pretty good quality, but that's in behind these numbers are the reasons for the numbers. And that's what's a challenge to look for. The other part of the off season, I guess, is rule changes. And we've seen, I would call them tweaks, not necessarily paradigm shifts. Say the safety, when a quarterback's got possession of the ball and there's a holding penalty, and he's standing. The quarterback is standing in the end zone. That could be a real game changer in one sense. It it could be. I haven't seen it much. It's only occurred in my memory four or five times, maybe. So it's not going to change a great deal. But in principle, what it does it it says you can't hold in the end zone, or the penalty is much higher. So it's the the uh, potential for it rather than the frequency in the past. But I like that rule. I really like it a lot. And I know the part I play is fairly small, but with all the data, I'm often asked the question, Jeff and I get asked, what's the likelihood if we change this rule, what do you think will happen? And that was the key in adjusting the yard line after safeties or punt singles from the 35 to the 40. That extra five yards 
is big. It, it saves virtually one. It means one less first down you have to make almost to get into scoring position. And also teams are willing to risk much more. If you make one first down in the 40, you are at midfield at least pretty much. And, and now you're willing to risk a little more. That's the one thing that, that tends to dampen a lot of the numbers is, is risk aversion. And, and risk aversion, I've had coaches call me and say, last year, one of the coaches, he said, should I take a safety if I have the ball at the 10, our own 10-yard line on third down, or should I kick? The other one is really profound, and that is, the percentage of missed field goals that are now returned instead of a single being conceded is has rocketed. There's very few missed field goal singles now, like less than half of what there was even a couple of years ago. So those are changes inside the game that are inside the teams and that we can we can observe. But so the safety one there is important. The most profound real change to me that we've ever done was in 2015 when we increased the standard for uh, illegal contact on a receiver. And we said you can't do it beyond five yards instead of you could do it for the first 10. Once a receiver got to five yards, had to let go. Well, that means the bump and run isn't as effective and receivers are more open. The hash marks one is a really tough one to measure, to, to determine because does it make two wide sides of the field? To me, the field's the same size. So I, I think it had an effect, but it's hard to quantify, as I guess what I'm saying. But helping Darren Hackwood and, and his committees, my bosses, is, again, something I really enjoy because you can tell them, okay, this is what our game will look like if we if we do that. Well, most of them, if I read this correctly, are, are applying to kick situations. Where yeah. Some of it's safety, too. Yes, Kickoffs are dangerous plays. The I think it's the USFL. Either the I think it's the USFL. They line their players up. No, XFL. I'm sorry. Five yards apart. Actually, at the close at the 30 yard line, close to where the returners are, so that they don't have their cover guys running all the way down the field. They start them much closer, but they can't be moving. For player safety, it's important. I'm just kind of looking at it now on my other screen and. Uh, I think what they want to do with the punting, make it a little bit better for kick return teams, a bit easier. That's one part of the game, Don, that separated us from the NFL some, was that we have a, a lot more long kick returns. Size of the field, the five yards, things like that. Whereas we don't have the fair catch, which the fair catch and the touchbacker or like baseball without that clock. To me, they really make the game not as interesting as it could be. All these things increase what we call game flow. And that is the pace of the game that our fans are witnessing. And that's underneath all this. And can you fit it into a TV window? Is it, does, it, does it flow well? And the metric for that is the number of possessions per game. If you have a game that I witnessed in the CFL about mm, six or seven years ago, 
BC seven, Ottawa five. Oh, that was a tough one. Worst, I think it's the worst football game I've ever seen. And our rules committee reacted well to games like that. And since then, we haven't had any like that. I think there were 16 or 18 two and outs in that game. And nobody wants to see that. So that's what working with the rules entails. Is what is the likely impact of doing these things? And I work with Darren very closely to uh, say, good, this is a year we're just tweaking it. We're building on last year. And we'll see what happens in year two of the major things we did last year. Speaking of the five-yard change, a ball striking the goalpost in flight after a kick moves out to the 30 instead of the 25. Yep. Team intercepts the ball in the end zone, their own end zone, kneel down, they get to the 30. Same with the, if they happen to recover a fumble in their end zone. So that there's your five yards. Yes. Exactly. Now, in, there's a 5B penalty applications with fouls in the goal area will be applied from the 30 or the 15-yard line, dependent upon the foul. That one has got me confused. Some of those are really specific. Those are Some of them are really specific, and they rel- relate to things like loose ball interference in the end zone. For example, if there's a fumble in the end zone or a foul in goal, it's where the penalty is applied from. So instead of being applied from the 10, so if you're returning a kick, out of the end zone, and you get called for holding in the end zone. The kicking team has the option, and and say that guy is tackled in the end zone, to take the point, a single point, or take that penalty and apply it from the 10 back to the 5. You lose the point, but you give that team extraordinarily bad field position. We're going to apply that not from the 10 anymore, but the 15, for example. And uh, uh, there are penalties that are applied from the 25, say 10 yards back to the 15. Now they'll be from the 30. So you'll start possessions not quite so in the shadow of your goalposts. I think that's the intention of those. And illegal interference is one of those uh, on a loose ball. Another one is this. If you're in the field of play and you lose the ball, fumble, and a defender is going for the ball to recover it. And in the opinion of the official, an offensive player holds him and keeps him from getting the ball. That ball is awarded to the defense at the point of the foul. Now it'll be awarded at the point of the foul plus another five yards. So there's another five-yard adjustment. So that's another interpretation. So a lot of these are really specific situations as opposed to sort of general. You just described illegal interference in a nutshell. There you go. That's a, to be honest with you, I went through our, our rule book with a fine tooth comb after seeing this just to make sure I understood as much as I could because we've got to apply it statistically. The requirement for the ball to be touched prior to ruling a rouge on a kickoff has been removed. What does that mean now? Okay, this, it aligns it with other types of kick plays. The one thing I haven't had a chance to do is to talk to my colleague, Darren, for him to clarify that for me exactly. Because I do know that there were the part of the rules committee exploration was to look at, at changing the rules for Rouge. And if you kick up, if you punt the ball through the end zone, it is a single. So if I read this, I'm reading it right now on my other screen. This change aligns the Rouge rule on kickoffs 
with all other types of kick plays. So if you miss a field goal and you kick it through the end zone, that's a single point. Yes. Same for a punt. Yes. So the requirement for the ball to be touched. So I would read that as if you kick off through the end zone, you get one point. That's how I would read it. Essentially, it's the way it used to be some Quite. 30 years ago. I remember games where guys would kick the ball off, went through the end zone. That's a single. One of the things that's really cool and really a challenge is we have scoreboard operators in our stadiums that aren't associated with anybody. And the guy in BC sits around the other side of the bulkhead from me. On the bulkhead is, is a TV and our, our cable connection. And on the other side of this column, this concrete column, he sits. And so somebody kicked off right through the end zone. And he goes, click, and gives a point to that. I can see the people on the sideline looking at the scoreboard. And everyone in the stats crew in PC Place turns to me and looks at me. And I, I go, no. And the guy heard me howling. And I, I kind of reached around. He's a really nice young man. I said, could you kind of take that point away? He says, oh, I, I thought the rule was that. I said, no. You, you don't. And it happened there, which is easy for me. So he's, oh, you know, just change the, take it off. That's easy. It also happened in another city. I, for, I honestly forget which city it was. Well, I'm not in, in connect. I'm not connected to that guy. So now I'm trying to phone somebody in the stadium to tell them, fix the scoreboard. The score is not 8-7, it's 7-7. It took about 10 minutes to get that corrected because the guy, the person, is not connected to anyone. He's just sitting there with a little console. He's employed by the stadium, not the league. And so for us, that's kind of a challenge is to, is to communicate with him. And now, of course, we've changed that. It, it, uh, the wisdom of our uh, operational people is, is to get right after things like that so they don't happen. But it's, it's a challenge because there's a whole lot of people working a football game. And we've got the game supervisor and the officials and the off-field clock operators and all that. But the one guy off to the side putting the points and the yards and the downs on the scoreboard. He's doing it on his own. So we'll fix that. But so I'd read that subject to my asking my colleague that you get a, you get a single. Yeah. I'm thinking back to the 2021 gray cup. Remember we talked about the guy, had he not touched it as it was sailing through Hamilton would have been down by two. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's what shows you how subtle our game is. All these little things you got to know. <laughs> I've been looked intensively at the field position on average between ourselves and the NFL, the XFL, and the USFL. All four sets of rules are different. On average, we're having teams start at the 37-yard line now instead of the 32. That helps us a lot. The NFL, on average, starts at the 28.6, just, you know, just inside the 30. With a 100-yard field, it's about the same distance to go to get to the other end zone. You can look at it that way. But you're also closer to your goal line. So there's some 
there's some risk there. This is one of those variables that 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 happens when you change the rules. And I love the analysis of what could be. That's part of this the rule thing. Just looking at some of the other ones, avoiding contact with the official, pretty straightforward. The player numbers. That's interesting. I think that's more of a system thing. But anytime you restrict defensive formations, it's generally going to help the offense. It's almost your job. You have to implicitly understand the rule and how it impacts every play. There are nuances in this game. Even though the CFL rulebook is quite short, it's filled with nuance. The the five words I hear the most are, and it's I don't mean it to sound perhaps the way it, it might come out, but what do we do now, Steve? In our system, we'll we'll have a like. Here's here's one. Late in the game, and Calgary has done this a couple of times. They complete a pass downfield. Guy catches it, stops, and punts the ball. An open field kick. Where do you calculate that kick from? Where he caught the ball. It takes three yards to kick a ball from that point, and then there's no yard supply on those. What happens if there's a guy behind him? Is he onside? Or the play that I see in my nightmares, and I had somebody, a genius, ask me this yesterday, and uh, quarterback drops back. Our rulebook states explicitly, Don, that if a defensive player forces the quarterback to fumble in the end zone, that's a sack. He gets credit for a sack. But say an offensive player, once the ball's loose on the field, picks it up and he advances it across the line of scrimmage, he could run down the field for a touchdown if he wants to, or if he could. How do you score that? You've already scored a sack, which is a team loss. But it's a sack, but with plus yardage because they didn't lose yards. And another line in the rule book says, for a sack to be scored, a team must lose yards. Well, that's in direct conf- conflict with forcing a fumble in the backfield because that doesn't consider where the ball goes after that. See, these are, so that's when you get the question, what do we do now? And so you just sometimes, and, and you have to make the system not break and put in entries where the statistics come out right. But it may not look, I'm put it this way, I'm glad sometimes you don't see the entries we have to make to do it because our game is so nuanced and subtle uh, in the rule book. And you said yourself, it's not long, but it's messy. (laughs) I'm thinking back, you were talking about if a player catches a ball, turns around and kicks it. And that's a game in BC. Uh, uh, Matt Dunnigan was the coach. Mike Juhas was the guy kicking the ball. And there was mass confusion about who was on side. Was there no yards? It's exactly what you described. It, it, it's just, well, there was a play in a playoff game, I think, a while ago, Montreal was involved, where they needed a point, so they kicked it in the end zone. And then the defensive team kicked it out, and they kicked it back in. And then now you got three punts on the same play. The system, by that time, it, it metaphorically, has thrown its hands in the air. It's, I give up. <laughs> and I had, we crashed the system once 
colleague and I did. There's a gentleman from North Vancouver that works with me, Doug Page, and we've been friends a very long time, and we're part of the Alliance Stats groups as well as the CFLs. And uh, we just both looked at each other and said, can we go home? <laughs> and yet it's the messiness that keeps you coming back for more. That play all started with a wide field goal. Toronto tries to get it out. Montreal gets it back in. Toronto yep. then muffs basically the next punt. The Alouettes recover in the end zone and they win the game anyway. Yeah. Or there was a game. It was kind of like, I call it the karma game, where there was a team that was ahead by one point late in the game. And they're thinking, okay, if we go for two, that'll put us up by three. And then we can, they can only tie us with a field goal drive in the time they have left. This is the ultimate karma moment, I think. They were leading by one point, and they threw an interception, and the defense returned it for a two-point convert. So they went from leading by one to losing by one, and they lost the game. Calgary and Edmonton. Calgary and Edmonton. Howard Fields took it all the way the other way. Yeah, and uh, ouch. So that was a tough one, that one. That was the uh, Labor Day rematch in 2001, I believe. Yeah, that's right. But I was adding things to the rule book today. One of the, my favorite things, or to the uh, record book, is to go through each year and add names where I can and check things, and that's not right. And, or I'll get rid of that because I can fit this in, in in a published document. So I was able to add Fran McDermott today from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and was able to add an explanation that will satisfy. No, it, okay, I, li- I lied. It won't satisfy him, but it will start to satisfy Paul McCallum. He's a very good friend of mine, and he has rightly raised with me, showing me the film, that his 62-yard field goal was actually 62 yards and 19 inches. Well, I wasn't around at the time which is not an excuse because I could see the video and that thing is 62 yards and a half plus an inch or two. So is that a 62 or a 63 yard field goal? Because we round them. So I put it in the record book today. Is it, is it the last demarcation line in front of them or is it? The rule book states that for statistical purposes, the yard line you select is the one that is closest to the front of the ball. It's explicit. And that's one that I am not permitted to change because that comes from the rules committee. And so, yeah, you're always living with that. And uh, so I put an explanation in the rule book, describe the situation. I didn't change the 62 yet. I got to put that in front of the rules committee and say, can I do this? Here's the evidence. I'm going to make them tell me 62 or 63. The other side was the other thing I was working on today. And I'll ask you, this is a test for you. Who's the greatest tackler in the history of the CFL? Mike O'Shea. Yes. If you look at the list, he has more recorded, published, recorded, published defensive tackles than any other player in our history. One thousand. 241 or whatever it is. But is he the greatest tackler in the history of our game? What about, there's five guys I identified that we didn't start publishing defensive tackles until 1987. 
Well, that just drops out conveniently about 30 years of our history. And you have to be a linebacker pretty much to kind of qualify here. And so Wayne Harris looks awfully inviting. He played 180 football games. And if you take six tackles a game, that's almost 1,100. So that puts him in our pile of guys. So he should be in the list. Another guy, Norm Fieldgate from the Lions. Um, Danny Bass. A lot of his seasons we don't have published data for. But, you know, Glenn Jackson of the Lions. Don Mullen. Not every season of his has data. And so that's where defensive tackles kind of make me crazy because it's unfair to those players that are a huge part of our history. So how arduous would it be to go back and say you wanted to get all the defensive tackles tabulated from 1960 till 1987 to make everything a more level playing field? How how much effort is this going to take? It would be huge to do. I did it for the Grey Cup because I have video of every Grey Cup. So we don't have, on the original game sheets, tackles for the Grey Cup in the 60s and in some of the early 70s. We do have it in the 70s. It was never published. It was never compiled. So I compiled what was on the sheets. But then I thought, well, okay, tackle rules to make them consistent all the way along. I went back to every Grey Cup video from 1953 to 20. I did this in 2011 to 2010, and I rescored every single play. Made corrections to the all the plays so that the Grey Cup record book matches the video as if that game were played yesterday afternoon. And so our Grey Cup record book is really based on what you're just talking about. For me to do that for a regular season, that's that's an awful lot of work. It'd be worth it. You'd have to do it for about maybe 30 seasons. So that's uh, the better part of 22, 2300 games. Someday someone will do it. But right now, I'm just so involved in um, measuring other leagues and, and getting prepared for our upcoming season that it, there's no time for it. The XFL is wrapping up. The USFL is in its season right now. What kind of impact is their presence having on the CFL, for instance? Um, the, the message that I've kind of drawn from just watching the games and tracking them is the, the level of quality of their football is growing. The XFL started just dreadfully this year. They had no practice, no scouting information. All their players are new. They're starting from scratch because they hadn't played for three years when they abandoned the 2020 season. But they built as they went and they learned. And I think the quality of their football is good. Just that no one's watching. Spring football is really difficult because of the market. Look at it. It's NFL and NBA playoff time. NC Mark, AA March Madness, all that they're up against. And uh, just you could check the ratings from this past week. I think the ratings for one of their games was the highest. The USFL game was the highest they'd had. They paired it with the Kentucky Derby. So a lot of the viewers from the Kentucky Derby flowed into the USFL game. Or, and yet you'll get another game. The average NFL game was watched by 17 million people. The NBA playoff game the other day had 6 million people. There are XFL games that drew 120,000. 120,000 is 
that's not it's not good enough revenue, obviously. So the wisdom of the people I work for is is that they want to know this information and just compile it, and we do it for ourselves as an internal discussion document. And uh, so the the quality of their game isn't bad. It's just that no one's watching. No fans. And the hub model for the USFL is really weird, where they play the games in four sites, Canton and Detroit, Memphis and uh, Birmingham. It's a bit odd. No home games for Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. Yeah, I agree. I The one thing that I've heard about, too, is that there's a good chance, and we've seen it with the USFL, is that the lineups may be completely turned over come next season. How do you get any provenance? How do you get any legends, stories, heroes? You use a good word, provenance. Exactly. It It's a word that's often used in terms of uh, knowing where something has come from. And it's used in art, knowing that you've got a foundation to build around. It's like uh, that continuity. And that reminds me of something that's really important. What I do is I test every year the our ability to retain our players. And fortunately for us, most of our most productive guys are still on CFL rosters. And that's to the credit of our clubs that they really retain the guys that make the touchdowns and the yards and the punts and the kick returns and field goals is that that's our clubs at their best. And uh, our, our league office giving them the ability to do it. So again, it really helps continuity to keep our quality up. And again, we look at that really closely internally. And uh, to me, that's running the league the right way. You know, there's always things that I think differently about. No one sports absolutely everything. But I love the direction we're going because we're, we're thinking about our game too all the time. And our rules committee is really, they ask a lot of questions. And if you don't, then you have a problem. So again, the, the privilege is there to just to be able to help out a little bit. It makes it fun to do. How excited are you? We're into training camps. It's a new system's coming online. It's it's got to be exciting times for you. Well, we've got a meeting at six thirty tonight, my, at my time here with Genius, to go through the next version of this. And I am absolutely just I can hardly wait to see this tonight. Hopefully, we'll have all the, the critique that we gave them of their first model and and i think they're going to take us to places that maybe i haven't even thought of yet so that that excites me and and yet it's still the same game and i wouldn't change anything you know 29 years i've had in this industry sort of half in basketball and half in football and uh man oh man it's made life fulfilling because you kind of find your place. It's like the, your podcast, it, it, you're in the right place. You're the one who's creating the platform, like Genius is, for people to weigh in and say what they think. And that's what you do. And uh, Genius is doing that for us. And uh, tonight, I'm going to find out what they've done. Because we're not, we're not far away from having to use what they've done. There's that. Awesome to talk to you again, Steve Daniel. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We've got to do this again sometime. Well, 
mid-season, we'll have another one maybe if you want, or we'll see where we're at. But I love talking to you anytime, Don. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.